thing about a recording is you can't erase them. <laughs> uh, for our Sunday school class today, we're going to be looking at a passage I'm sure you all you are uh, all familiar with, uh, found in Luke chapter 16, and it's going to we're going to be dealing with Lazarus and the rich man. Um, I this is a passage that uh, has has meant, meant a lot to me. It's been a challenging passage over the years. Uh, in 2000 and uh, 2001, a dear friend of mine uh, passed away. He was a young man, about 22 years of age, and I knew him and his parents because I uh, used to bow hunt with his parents. The dad got me into bow hunting, and uh, which I haven't done in years, but I, I still remember when he was a little 9, 10-year-old boy, he would run in over the hill. I saw one time we just got back from a little hunting expedition, and I saw him run out to meet his dad with his brother. And he would stumble. He had some issues. He would have some problems running. And uh, uh, that shortly, shortly thereafter, he was uh, diagnosed with having a debilitating disease. And he was put in a wheelchair, and he spent the rest of his life there. Uh, he passed away at, I believe, 22 years of age. And uh, I was one of his elders, and I, I knew his family, and I knew his mother well. And we'd had a new pastor at our church just come in, Bailey Cadman, and since the family knew me better than him, they asked me to do the service, and I used this passage, because I found comfort for me, much less the parents, in this passage, and uh, it was, uh, there was a certain, I'll show you the verse, there's a certain part of a verse that stuck out, and I never could get it off my mind, it, it haunted me, if you will, and uh, it made uh, talking about Matt a lot easier. Because I tell people, even though he died at 22 years of age, he would be pushed into my Sunday school classes in a wheelchair because he wanted to know more about Jesus Christ. He wanted to know the Word of God. He wanted to be a better witness as he was finishing up his degree in college. And he knew he didn't have long. And he would ask me after class sometimes and some of the other elders if we could pray for some of his lost friends. And... Uh, I knew about his mother. I knew the struggle she had with him physically and what she had to do. So <clears throat> my real goal was when I prayed, I just said, Lord, you know, just some comfort to these these fine people that love the Lord, and I, in particular his mother. So this story is a story. It's a well-known story. Um, uh, let's just read the passage, and then we'll come back to it. You understand, I really don't need these. These are just, uh, I'm being facetious. Okay. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried... Uh, by angels to, the, to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abram, Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. 
but now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they uh, be persuaded through one who rises from the dead. The interesting, uh, there's some interesting aspects of this passage. First off, I'm going to give you my bias right up front. It's not a parable. Um, I know that Matthew Henry wouldn't agree with me. I know R.C. Sproul didn't, even though he, he thought, you know, obviously they both held to the same doctrines I do on that passage. But John Calvin goes so far, he says he calls it a history. He says it's history. And there are good reasons. A proper name is used. It's not used in, in the context of parables. And a great comforting doctrines are found. But as Calvin says, he says, uh, some look at it as a simple parable, but as the name Lazarus occurs in it, I rather consider it to be the narrative of an actual fact. And his point is, but that is of little consequence, provided that the reader comprehends the doctrine which it contains. So <clears throat> in this account, we have, we see the condition of a rich man. And we read that uh, he was clothed in purple and fine linen. Well, purple was always associated, as you know, with Lydia by the river. Purple was associated to the rich. It was a uh, usually of a finer cloth. I put on a finer cloth. It was a purple dye to indicate someone's economic status. And the linen they spoke of was actually, uh, it seemed to have been a, a finer undergarment of a very fine material, a very soft material, that the rich in particular could afford, and they wanted it. And it was a a luxury, a true luxury at that time. And it said that uh, uh, in, in the passage we read, it says, and uh, he fared sumptuously every day, which usually the inference is he ate very, very well. And the Bible said that, uh, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of stores who was laid at his gate. Now, we had talked about this particular passage, and that's, We'll come back to it. But that was the passage that I couldn't get past, that he was laid at his gate. And it said that, uh, uh, if you read it a little further, he goes, Desiring to be fed from the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that when the beggar died, he was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. Now, there are some things that we would want to spend a little bit of time on. Why was he at the gate? And he was passive in the action. He was late at the gate. Someone put him at the gate of the rich man. Of course, the indication there is someone that had a concern but did not have the wherewithal to meet his needs. To feed him, to treat his sores, to give him what he needed. And he knew a rich man. And under Jewish law, and under Levitical law, and under the standards the Jewish people operated on, because both of these characters are Jews, there should have been some mercy shown, not just to leave him at the gate and give him crumbs, but to take him in, to provide for him, to meet his needs. But they couldn't do it. 
my friend who passed away had a mother that was not a big woman. And she would have to hold that child. Even when he became a grown man, she'd have to hold him upside down to drain his lungs when she treated for him. She did everything in their power. And they're not wealthy people. She met his needs. She waited on him. She waited on him. She waited, And she never felt she did enough. She did all she could do. She was crushed by his death. And the Bible says that if you did nothing more than offer a cool cup of water to a brother or sister in Christ, you did what you could do. There's a great reward for that. And she brought this, she, she did all she could for this young man and she fell short. She, was, she had a mother's guilt, if you will. I wish I could have done more for my boy. And she carried that with her for a long time. And probably still. And the fact of the matter is, there will be times and places where we want to do things. And we want to help people. We want to be able to help. And maybe we don't have the resources to do it. We can let it be known by our actions. And they'll know that we've done what we could do. And of course, if we send them away hungry, the Bible says our religion is false. If we send them away without doing something for them, we could do. We're proving to be hypocrites in our faith. But in this case, someone just did what they could do. Sometimes, someplace, Christians are called upon to do things. It may be a little thing. But it means so much in the kingdom of God. It's an act of mercy. And Christ had a reason when he said, just a cool cup of water. You can show courtesy. You can help someone do something they couldn't do. Maybe carry something in for them. Maybe maybe help them with something. It's not just money. It's not just spending. It's doing what you can do. And in this case, somebody said, let's bring him to Lazarus' gate. Lazarus is rich. Let's bring him to the gate. And they did. And the Bible says that they were just hoping scraps could fall from his table. That's a pretty desperate person. Not that he would do the right thing, come out and feed and clothe and take care of that person, do something they was within his power to do. But he neglected to him and did nothing for him. And then the Bible says Lazarus died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. Now in the Old Testament and the New Testament too, and at that time in the culture, when you said you were carried to someone's bosom, and in this case, Abraham's bosom, and we understand this patriarch, his importance in that covenant relationship, what he had with the children of Israel, we understand that what a, what a great man of God he was. But he was carried in to the bosom of Abraham. That meant to the most honored position in a banquet. He was carried to an honored position in a banquet. The one who had been full source, the one who was dying, the one who had been neglected, the one who couldn't get a crumb from a rich man's table. And now he's in paradise. The paradise is an eastern term for a garden. And there are different terms for reward. This is one of them. And it's a beautiful term. It's a garden. He was being licked by dogs. He was suffering from open sores, much like what's described in the book of Job. And he's ushered into the bosom of Abraham by angels. Again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't believe this is a parable. 
Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits set forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? There's two scenarios where we read about angels. In carrying this capacity and eternity. One is angels ushering in a child of God into the presence of God's reward. That's a beautiful thought. If you're a Christian and you close your eyes, I believe we will be ushered by angels from God. It would not fit into as a parable. It wouldn't make sure doctrinally if it weren't mentioned for that reason. It would be a, it would be modeling emotionalism that Jesus just didn't throw out. These ministering spirits have the privilege of ushering in the saints of God. And of course heaven rejoices when a saint of God comes home. And at this time, he's ushered in by angels. He's ignored by the rich. But he's ignored, but he's brought in on a special mission to Abraham's bosom. And he's in Abraham's bosom now. The Bible talks about what happens at death. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about death in Christians. You hear some, a lot of people say strange things. I was, uh, I travel a lot and, uh, there was a man that from Indiana, uh, who professed to be a Christian. Okay, everybody professes to be a Christian, but he professed to be a Christian. He told me his denomination, and I knew some of its particulars. And he'd had a marriage that went bad, so he's lived with a woman now for probably 20 years. Because marriage isn't for him. Okay. But we kind of got some discussions. And he said, I don't know why people get hung up on this, you know, idea. Because everybody knows when you die, you just, you, you just... Nothing happens. You sleep until the day of the resurrection. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches the moment a Christian or a lost person takes their last breath. They're in a a reward or a punishment. Now, it may not be the ultimate lake of fire. It may not be the heaven spoken of the new Jerusalem coming down in Revelation 21 and 22. But the Bible says they're in a, they're a place of reward, a place of peace, and they'll draw their next breath there. Now, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 6, so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. In verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And in verse 8, for we are confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Philippians 1, 21, for me to die, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And the Greek word today means right now, immediately, nothing quicker. There is no soul sleep amongst the Christians. Now, um, there's a commentary by Matthew Henry, and uh, he says, The happiness of heaven is here called the resurrection of the dead. Because though the souls of the faithful, when they depart, are immediately with Christ, yet their happiness will not be complete. So the general resurrection of the dead at the last day when the soul and body are glorified. We don't have time to go into all of it, but I would like to tell you a couple of things that are, have leaked into evangelicalism. And we know how broad that term is. Recent surveys have shown that as many as 85% of people professing to be evangelicals don't believe in a literal bodily resurrection. Jesus Christ couldn't speak enough about the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. He that believes in me and lives 
shall live, shall not die. I'm telling you something. The Apostle Paul, time and time again, brought people back to the gospel by preaching on the resurrection. He got him King Agrippa in his presence, and in the front, in the, with Felix and Agrippa, he preached so much about the resurrection that Agrippa said, "Paul, almost thou persuadest me." And Agrippa said, "You're a madman. You're beside yourself." He couldn't shut up about the resurrection. When the Jews were persecuting him and he wanted to divide them, all he had to do, because he knew Pharisees were there, he'd say, I'm just preaching about the resurrection. Because the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't and they started fighting. Oh no, oh no. The, the resurrection is talked about time and time again. Job said he knew he would see him in his flesh. The Bible talks time and time again about the resurrection. We're not negating the resurrection. We are going to telling you this. The Bible teaches very clearly that every believer at the point of death will be immediately in, its, in a eternal reward. But the great hope yet to be fulfilled according, when you look at uh, Hebrews um, chapter 11, verse 39 and 40, you're going to see that it says that is the one thing that has not been fulfilled yet. It said they are yet to receive their reward. Even they speaks about those in heaven. And what is that reward? It's when every believer, past, present, every believer is going to face a resurrection and a changed body. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's going to be after the newness. It's going to be a new body, a new flesh, the same one Jesus Christ had. And the body, the Bible says that every Christian in heaven right now, I don't know their intermediary state, how they get along. I know they're being rewarded. But they're looking forward to being joined with their body in a glorified body at the resurrection of Jesus, when Jesus Christ comes to judge the world. And those alive will be transformed. Those dead will be caught up. The sea will give up its dead. And the body says there will be a general resurrection. It's very clearly taught in the scriptures. And one of the best things Christians can do to call out the wolves among the sheep is when someone says, oh, I, I believe in Jesus. I preach Jesus. I know about this. Is to get real specific with them. Do you teach and preach a literal resurrection? Because if they don't, get away from them. We've got really soft in evangelical circles and what we allow in our, amongst ourselves. People that say they're Christians that don't believe in a universal flood. We had a fight in our own presbytery. One guy was getting ordained because he didn't believe in a resurrection. I mean, in a, in a universal flood. He believed in a local flood. He has no business in the ministry. People say that they believe that you'll go to heaven, you'll be happy, and you'll be with Jesus, and things are great. And that body stuff, that's just to make you feel good. No. Jesus Christ had a literal body, was resurrected, and he was called the first fruit. And he will, and we will too. It says in Philippians, um, in uh, John 5.29, it says, uh, uh, and we talk about the resurrection, and come forth those that have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. If you think the reward is great now, or the punishment is great, when you have a literal, a literal body, and at the resurrection, your reward will be greater. You'll have all your senses. Heaven's a real place. You'll be able to be able to feel things, hear things, see things, touch things. That's the resurrected body. That's the resurrection body of Christ. Christ in a resurrected body ate fish. That's the resurrected body. However, if you think your reward is great now, just imagine being in that wonderful city, that new Jerusalem, that new heaven, with all your senses, all the rewards, all the presence, the saints of God, the children of God, the angels of God, and the presence of Christ, the triune holy God, and you have all your senses 
senses that are perfect, unlike us. Some of us have a hearing aid. I have a hearing aid. Some need glasses. Some of us have other physical things. We all know it breakdown. We know the bodily limits. We understand it. But imagine a perfect, glorified body. In a glorified, and you have your glorified soul. Man is made what he's original to be, soul and body. Spirit and body. That's what man was designed to be. And now the perfect, glorified person is in the presence of God, receiving reward. And on the other hand, I talked about another thing where angels were, angels were given a mission. To bring the saints to God, but in the, it also says in the book of Life, in the book of Revelations, as you start to read, I'd encourage you to read through, through chapters 21 and 22. It says that when the Lamb's book of life is opened, and it's determined who is not a believer, the unbelievers will be cast into hell with the devil and his angels. That's what the angels are doing. Delivering those for eternal reward. And that will be with a body. With all the senses. That will live forever. So we see we have many things great. And as good as we are. In heaven when we're with the saints of God. Awaiting. We're looking forward to the resurrection. We're looking forward to the resurrection. We're going to see what it's called. The final death. The the, the death of death. Death will be dead. Death will have no sting. Death will be no more. Christ has proved and conquered all things. The Bible speaks about these things. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. The book of Philippians is just a wonderful book. We all know about it. It's a book of great. um, Has a great tradition in the church of Jesus Christ. You gotta remember the book of Philippians, Paul didn't intend to go to Philippi. He had no desire to go to Philippi. He wanted to go up into Asia. He, he didn't want to go there. And he had a dream, then he got sick, and God got him to Philippi. And he met this woman by the river, and that's where they went back then. If you were a Jew in an area, and there weren't at least ten families, ten people, you met by running water, and they'd talk about God's word, and he met Lydia. He gave her the sal- he gave her the good news of salvation. She and her house were uh, believers, baptized, and he had a wonderful time. It was, it was the only church he took money from. It was the only church that he had. After, he had a special relationship with Philippi. We know about the Philippian jailer. We know he ran into opposition, but he loved Philippi, and he was encouraging them and sent a letter to them, and he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death. He wanted death. I'm conformed to his death. I'm suffering. But I'm looking forward to the resurrection. And it was the resurrection. And Christian, that's a good thing to look forward to. The ultimate reward shared with all believers. And it's, again, the book of Hebrews says that will be something we will all participate together with. Philippians 3.11 If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In Philippians 3.20 For our citizenship is in heaven from which we... Eagerly wait the Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 21, Who will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able uh, even to subdue all things to himself. It's according to his glorious body. The body of the resurrected Christ is the flesh of the body we will have. Do you think about that? Makes suffering a little different. Lazarus has great reward right now and is comforted. But I'm telling you something. Lazarus is looking forward to the resurrection. Every saint that precedes us looking forward to the resurrection. 
Paul could not shut up about it. The return of the Lord the resurrection. Paul's reoccurring message. He told Felix and Agrippa. Then Agrippa said, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Well, you know when you talk about somebody? Never fear of talking about the resurrection. Never. And it will weed out people that really believe in the miraculous and the supernatural. It really will. He also says, in John 5.28, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. They mean the body. And come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have evil to the resurrection to condemn. Daniel 12.2 And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Isaiah 26.19 your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing you who dwell in dust. For the dew is like the dew of the herbs. And the earth shall cast out the dead. Revelation 20.11 Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. From whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was, no, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great standing before God. And, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in it. And they were judged, each according to the works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Hebrews 11:39, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. These are people in heaven. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. He wants everybody at that party. So I think of a young man, 22 years of old, who immediately went into the comfort of Christ, no longer suffering, who was rewarded for his faith in Christ Jesus alone by faith. And yet I know there's going to be a day when his body is going to be resurrected of a new flesh. And he's going to be rewarded with that glorified body. And he's going to have all his senses. And he's going to know no limitations that Christ would give him to enjoy his comforts of heaven. Then the verse closes out with a very scary thought. One which many times is lost in the New Testament and churches this today and age. Have you ever heard anybody say, boy, I wish we had the apostles' miracles. Could you imagine? We have people healed. You know how people have come to church. People that get saved. If we had miracles, you know what would happen if there were miracles? And they go, we need a revival. We need miracles. I was in a, um, I'm in, I'm in sales and marketing. Right now I'm, I, I work in, um, I travel a lot, but I travel out of state a lot. And, uh, I develop solar fields and wind energy fields. I do leasing for them. But in other jobs I've had where I was in some kind of marketing or sales, I'd be in people's homes sometimes. I was in a home, I believe it was in the North Hills. And a man told me he had the gift of healing. Okay, I'm trying to do my job. I'm trying to get my job done. That's what my employer hired me doing. He insisted he wanted to tell me about his gift of healing. Now, he was being deceitful in our marketing. We're going back and forth negotiating. He was being a bit deceitful. So I'm, I didn't want to bring that up. I'm, that's not my, you know, I'm just doing my job. And he said, 
you know, I, at the time I moved a little bit funny. I mean, what's wrong? I said I got bad knees. I was a kid in high school. I said I had surgery. Blah blah blah. I said just getting old. This, when I really wasn't that old, but I said just getting old. He said, "Well, let me pray for you about for healing." I said, "Have at it." So he prayed for me. How's it feel now? I go the same. Well, that's what it is when you don't have faith. Okay. And he told me he used to go to Allegheny North Park. And he would stop people out there. And he'd tell them, come here, I'm going to pray. And he said people got healed. He put his hands on them. And I thought, well, why didn't you walk a half mile to uh, the hospital there, Allegheny General, go into the terminal ward, go up and down there and save people a lot of aggravation problems. During that whole time, you know what he failed to do once? He failed to share the gospel with me. I finally told him I was a Christian. I trusted in Christ as my Savior. He never brought it up. He never brought it up. Never talked about it. I said, I believe in the new birth. I said, I'm, I'm trusting in Christ. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, didn't share the gospel. It became very important to him to have something miraculous. Well, the Bible says in Luke chapter 16, verse 31, but he said to him, remember what the request was? Let Lazarus go see my five brothers so they don't end up here with me. Wow, that would impress you, would it not? Someone dead that you knew was dead? And they come up and say, I got a message for you? Surely that would save somebody. He said, but he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. The Bible teaches that you and I are spiritually dead. That you and I don't have faith, we don't have repentance, we don't have any desire for God, we walk in darkness, and that unless the work of the Holy Spirit comes to us, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God, and when the Word of God is preached, when the Word of God is taught, when the Word of God is shared, the Holy Spirit works through that, and He quickens. He gives the new life. And that we then, after being quickened by the Holy Spirit, respond by faith. And there are no miracles that bring people into heaven. Jesus did miracles to testify of his deity. He didn't need it, he didn't need it because he's weak on his evangelism. Jesus did miracles to testify of his deity. How many of you think the 5,000 that sat down, 5,000 men, mind you, we don't know how many women, how many of them do you think were truly saved? How many of them do you think were around him any time it's crucifixion? How many of him followed him and told others? We don't know, but apparently the numbers weren't real good. Now, how about the 4,000? How about those that met him in the street saying, uh, uh, he that comes in the name of the Lord, and they were laying down the alms, and he was coming in. Where are they all right now? The Bible gives us a clear message. We may not like the results because God is sovereign, but the Bible gives us a clear message. Preach the gospel. Preach the word of God. Stay with the word of God. He doesn't need the miraculous. You're saying Jesus needs a trick sideshow, smoke and mirrors. He needs something to trick people into believing. Is that what you're saying? Is that what we're believing? Is that where we've come? How many really believe that this is God's word? And if I'm faithful with it, he will accomplish his will. That's what we're supposed to believe. That's what we do. That's what we teach. That's why we need a pastor. You don't look for a guy that's a glitch. By the way, I met Nate. I really enjoyed him. He came over to my house and I have a, a room in the back. The ceiling's like 12 feet tall. It's about 12, 12 and a half feet tall, but it's about 10 and a half feet higher than I'm going to go. Okay. So he took care of the ceiling, patched some cracks, replaced some lights, 
did beautiful trim work on the woodwork in the room and, and really enjoyed it. We did, really did fine work. And we had a chance to talk a little bit. Not too much because he was pretty busy. But I do know one thing about talking to him. He believes you have to t- talk about and teach the Word of God. You have to preach the Word of God. You can put up with a lot of things with pastors. You can put up with guys that are a little quirky. I mean, I, I know uh, I've met R.C. Sproul. I've, I've uh, Gershner. Uh, I've, I've met uh, some of these people. And uh, I came from a fundamentalist Baptist background. And I've met a lot of those guys, some real characters. And I can tell you this much, in all the quirkiness and everything else, the people that are faithful to preaching God's word, that's what we should focus on. It's not personalities. It's not, it's, it's just, that's not what it's, but this is about. The people that will preach God's word, because if they believe Moses and the prophets, guess what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 16, he said, if you believe Moses, you'd be believing me right now. That's what he said. You can preach the gospel. I had a class in biblical theology. Uh, my professor taught a class, and he said uh, we had to. He gave us the Pentateuch, just for five, first five books of the Bible, and we had to defend the five points of grace, five points of Calvinism from the Pentateuch. He said, learn to think and see the scriptures in the light of the way the people saw it back then and what they knew. He said, learn to use the scriptures. Jesus Christ is revealed in the scripture. What did Jesus say about all the prophets? Every one of them testified of me. Every single one. I read to see someone preoccupied with just preaching out of the Old Testament, preaching the faith of the prophets, preaching the good news of the prophets, and a liberal that goes off and never mentions that it's Christ and Christ alone. We have the Word of God. We've been more blessed. I know most, most of you, I'll, I'll be stopping here in a minute, but I know most of you have computers. I don't complain. I don't compare to be the, I mean, I don't by any means profess to be the most literate guy on a computer. I have to use one for work. I can use one. Um, my son is a uh, uh, software engineer, and he just looks at the X's and O's and finds errors in software. My son-in-law is a... Uh, uh, graphic designer runs a team of people. And he makes websites and does this and average. And they talk in things I have no idea what they're talking about. I look like a Neanderthal. Boom, 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 boom. I, mean, I can do attachments. I can I can do a little bit of Word. I can use a PDF file. That's about it. That's it. I mean, I do what I need to do. But I'll tell you, just even me, what you have available online now is incredible. You download eSword. You download one of the software packages. It don't even cost anything. You download four or five translations. You can get at your fingertips good commentaries. And you can compare scriptures. And you can go and do the most comparative studies that it took theologians hours to go get the books, hours to line up, hours to do. And you can just sit there and go, this is amazing. It makes someone like me act like I know what I'm talking about. This is what we have available. Every one of us need to be students of the Bible. Because it's the only good news we have. So what do we have here with this example? We have a great word of encouragement. We have a great word of encouragement that God sees all our suffering. He sees all our trial. He knows everything you and I go through. And he said something. It's going to seem like a short period of suffering when we're with him. And we've received 
the eternal reward we have in Jesus Christ. And we're going to be with every saint of God anticipating the resurrection. We're going to anticipate those graves splitting open. We're going to anticipate the, the sea giving up its dead. We're going to anticipate the ashes of the cremated being brought to life. We're going to anticipate the, all those that have lived before us. And we're going to anticipate that. And we're going to have the same body as the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a passage we can take great comfort in. And it's a passage that when you lose someone, and you fall short and say, if I could have done more. Jesus Christ knows your heart. Your limitations aren't what he's going to do. It's your heart. What what, what were you willing to do? What did you do? Did you just do the little you could do? That's our comfort. Why don't we close in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this lesson, Father. We thank you for the mercies you give us. We thank you for the great hope we have. We thank you, Father, that we have ministry spirits that want to usher us into your presence. Everyone's excited to see the saints of God that you redeemed. We know, Father, you desire to have your children with you. You said it repeatedly in the scriptures. And, Father, we know that the more we know you, the more we know how undeserving we are of this grace and mercy. We give you all praise, all glory and honor, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.